Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. It's kind of a rainy afternoon here, evening. Same here in Kentucky. I'm soaking wet, breaking dogs as always, and weather's we need the rain obviously as as most places do but just been a heck of a day and, and uh everything's winding down for the evening here as well well good well what we want to do is talk a little bit about our interview with eric stanbro oh absolutely what a, what a great guy you know eric is like the energizer bunny of uh <laughs> dog training right <laughs> he is he is all in every day you know the guys you know van s canine working dog radio guys out there hitting it and getting after it i hate to use the word grind that just chaps me but i don't like that term i don't either but but (laughs) he's a hard worker you know that guy is after it i love you know to to ask eric a question and then just sit back and go okay there it is 45 50 minutes later he's going to take a breath and love (laughs) love that guy just for that right there i mean you know he's been around the dog world a long time but deployed a lot of police dogs you know, worked on that the Navy contract for a while with Cobra, and uh, just a super nice guy, and uh, a lot of information. It was a great episode. Yes, really. At this point, if you don't if you don't know who Eric Stanbro is, you've been living under a rock. So we had a good time talking to him. We broached the subject of e collars, and he was off and running. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the biggest discussions that I like uh, that we had, and it it was short term, but Dog trainers are always running down each other all the time, right. you know, and this is a world where we need to be building each other up. You, you, you bring on these great dog trainers, you know, Eric, Mitch, how you and I have been, how we've been friends for 15, 16, 17 years now. And yes, we are, uh, we have a business and maybe at some point we're competitors, but you know, you're in North Carolina. I'm in, I'm in Kentucky. We need to build each other up and make sure that, you know, people know, hey, if you're in that area, you need to go check out Howard. If you if he's doing a seminar or Eric in Ohio, he's if he's got his e-collar class going, you need to go check that out, man. You're going to get a wealth of information. And and that's what I loved about this episode was uh, it's a little technical. So okay. if you're if, if you're deep in the trenches of, of dog training, you're going to enjoy it. If you're new to it, you may be a little behind the power curve. But, hey, it's OK. That's what these episodes are all about, getting together with wonderful people in this industry and having great conversations. Right. So sit back and have a listen, and you might learn a thing or two. Absolutely. With no further ado, Eric Stambro. Kind of excited about tonight. Get to talk to our, our friend Eric. Uh, we we did a, uh, a podcast with him earlier or a recording with him earlier when you and I were doing epic, epic failures of technology. So. <laughs> Glad to have you back on. Very, very humbled that he would decide to, to come back and join us. And on his end, you know, propping us out a little bit on uh, his podcast was was very nice in their social media. So we do really, really appreciate that. You know, shared some common ground early on in some training uh, with the uh, couple of programs that we worked with, which was kind of neat. Never got to work together. But, you know, since, you know, met him in Georgia and talked to him several times on the phone and, and you know, Great dog guy and uh, loved him down there in Georgia doing the last seminar we did. I uh, thought he uh, brought some cool little tips and tricks to to, to some of their uh, uh, patrol dogs, which I thought was, a, a, I think they had a really good time with that one. 
most definitely. I think, you know, in this industry, you come across people that you just have a connection with. And I've, I kind of felt that connection with Eric really pretty much the first time. And uh, though we don't talk a lot, we do communicate through text a good bit. And so it's good to keep up with him and anxious to hear what he has to tell us tonight. Well, I've been following him on social media myself. He's got a couple of uh, cool things uh, in the, in the, the mix his new uh, e-collar program that he's uh, touted on social media. It looks like, uh, I think it's called e-collar without conflict, I believe. And uh, sounds like a, a really cool venture for him to undertake and, and, and get some folks out there on the e-collar. I know with, uh, we just talked to Mitch about his on the last podcast about how he thought that was a, a great communication tool to make things black and white. So I'm interested to hear what Eric has to say about that as well. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm excited yeah. to be in the uh, in the first like first eight nine however many you've done I'm, I feel good I'm like on the ground floor. <laughs> well, I think I think Howard and I are still both on the ground floor. <laughs> so so thank you for lowering the bar and 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 sitting with a right. couple road guys. We appreciate it. Not that I haven't told you guys two years ago that you should be <laughs> two years, but whatever. Hey, We're here now. You did you did and and uh, you know it just wasn't the right well, time for Howard now a lot. A lot going on, but you know we've since uh, pulled up our bootstrap straps, put on our big boy pants, and uh, decided to pursue the endeavor. So we appreciate your your help, and and I'll, and like I said earlier, we really really thanks thanks a bunch for shouting us out on social media. Really appreciate that. No problem. You know this um, the industry here, it, it's interesting. You know with the dogs, it, it it can be pretty shitty and cutthroat and nasty and snipey and snide the core group there's a core group of guys that tend to lift each other up i find and um suggest like people would someone called me one time about about doing something and i was like nah that's not really my thing hey Matt, why don't you check out howard check out howard young or you know these guys i got i got an agency in new york to book carlos ramirez for for a decoy school uh, because teaching decoys is not my specialty i i'm good at decoying but i'm just not good at teaching it I don't know why it's just, it's a weird thing. So, but in this podcast world, you know, Ted and I started working dog radio. We were the first ones. And then now there's a whole bunch of podcasts and I love it. Cause I listen yeah. to all, we have, you know, shared guests, mutual guests on some of them. Some of them we haven't like you had, you know, Mitch on your episode the other day, even though Mitch worked and I worked in the, in the same program for a minute, I've never had Mitch on, never heard him talk, never had him anywhere. That was great. It was a good guest, man. It was uh good times. And I appreciate the nice things you said. I'm going to tell you guys, you know, people listening, just how, like, you know, we talk to people and how, you know, I've trained, we've all trained lots and lots of dogs. And there's different aspects of this thing, especially in business. And like, Rich, after that time in Georgia, I I didn't change the business model for my pet business, but I tweaked it and added the day training up stuff that you're doing. Dude, I'm jealous. I wish all we did was day training and close those doors at night and there's no dogs in the building. But that day training was a huge uptick in our business. It was a brilliant idea that you gave me. And um, so I jump, I jump on that shit right away. And then Howard and I talk a lot. And those of you who are new to this and really don't know Howard and haven't spent any time with him, the guy is very even keeled, very level. And that's things that offset me in my life because I'm, I can be pretty, I get pissed off a lot and I can be, you know, hot headed and I try not to be. And I got, you know, a lot of this just comes from just a lot of, I try not to use the word hate, but I got a lot of hate and a lot of things. 
and I've talked, I've talked to Howard and he's a couple times he's like, dude, you're, you're thinking about it the wrong way, or you got to do this and change that and bridge the gap on a couple guys that, that we're friends with that I turned in being an asshole to and kind of got that set up. So friendships like this, I really, really do appreciate it. Even if we don't get, we see each other like twice a year, once a year and talk a bunch It it on my end. So in case you guys knew it, I've, knowing you two has changed some things in my life. So. Oh, well, we appreciate that. Awesome. Well, that, that's great to hear, man. I'm glad that program worked out for you as well. It's uh, it's worked out really for us. I wish I could have thought about it or wish I thought that program up myself, but I was asked to do that by a couple of clients about t- almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Asked me, have you ever considered? And I was like, mm, you know, no, not really. And so we gave it a shot and, you know, and now it's our number one program and, you know, it's good to be wrong in the industry. And uh, I like, like what you said that, you know, there is enough for all of us as far as to go around in the dog world. You know, I, there's a, there's a few creators out there in, in YouTube land or whatever, and they're, they're photography guys. And what I've known is, is they constantly build each other up. They're having each other on their podcast. They create together. They do stuff. They're always sharing information with each other and they just keep continue to grow and grow and grow instead of tearing each other down. And I think that's a big problem in our industry as people do that all the time. You know, the mm-hmm. old, uh, the old story that the only thing that you know, two dog trainers can agree on is the third one's wrong and it's just a bad place to be. And there, there's plenty to go around and we need to we need to build each other up way more than we do. And I think when you do things like this happen, you get to collaborate with not only people that you respect, but people that are doing really good things in the world and, you know, get to come together, have great conversations. And even though Howard is even kill, that's okay. He, he is. <laughs> you know, Howard reminds me of this kid, Jordan, that works for me. I have this kid, Jordan. He, um, He's a state trooper and he, he's not a dog handler, but he had started out in sport work and then he came to me for a hand or trainer school and then stayed on, you know, as my, he's the only employee I have on the police side of the house. It's just me and him. I have 24, 27 on the, on the pet side between daycare and, and training and stuff. And, um, there are two guys I've, t- I've told this story a bunch, but there's two guys that graduated my class back to back classes that only graduated because of Jordan and because <laughs> Jordan doesn't get mad he doesn't get angry he gets frustrated you know he can get frustrated and irritated a little bit but he doesn't get angry and me i'm dumping tables i'm ready to smash shit because this is the 50th <laughs> time i've told you this rep this thing you've done wrong 50 times now it's unacceptable to me and so he's like hey remember you've handled a leash five million times this kid just started two weeks ago so I'm like, yeah, but I don't care. I'm very clear and concise in my whatever, blah, blah, blah. He, I said, I tell you what, when he comes into work, I'm going to go in the other room. And two kids graduate. I'm telling you, they only made it because of Jordan. And he reminds me of Howard. Howard is, we, we, the last time Howard and I trained in Georgia together, we go to these facilities or these buildings to to come up with scenarios. And I'm looking around, coming up with really goofy crap. And, and I look at Howard, he's like, uh, yeah, no. He's like, that's not safe. <laughs> Look, there's a hole right there. There's a window. I'm not. I'm like, okay, you're right. You Let's gotta get have, on the roof. Yeah, you gotta have a, a a Howard. You can. You gotta have a guy that can do that for you. So I don't know. I don't have the creative juices that you have. That's for sure. I I tell you, we we had an accident with a kid when we were down there the last time, and it was one of those situations. I thought we had all our bases covered, and mm-hmm. dogs do what dogs do, you know, and this. I was about to say, call your dog back. And it was, it was not even out of my mouth yet. Yeah. Okay. And he stayed with the program and he's, but you know, that was, that was a 
bad day for him. That was not mm-hmm. how he intended to uh, spend his next several days or weeks mending <laughs> the hand. <laughs> that whole entire situation. There's we're not we won't get into. It. There's so many things involved in that. You're like, you did what? What happened? How did? You know? It's it was it was crazy, but yeah. Well, Eric, is tell us about the e-collar classes. I saw the ad and um, and we heard from you that that it seems to have just really taken off. So I'm interested to hear just a synopsis of what it entails and where you're headed. And uh, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So we go when I was with I was with a company called HRD for a long time, you know, and uh, high risk deployment. And we would go and we do these seminars and then in the first couple hours it was PowerPoint and we would talk about outing, you know, the out, the letting go of the bike. And I would say how many, and I was being polite, but I'm like, how many of you guys have a sticky out? How many of your dogs have a sticky out? And I don't even know, I don't know if that's a Bradshaw term. I I can't remember where I ever picked that up. Yeah, that's the first place I heard the the sticky out, which is. And it makes sense. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And like, there'll be 30 people and two or three people will raise their hand. And I'm like, well, 27 of you are liars. <laughs> they're, they're all liars because that's always the problem. And, and, and you know, unrelated, I do think that the guys unnecessarily obsess over it, but I, I really started paying attention because I could fix her out at, at the, at that seminar could fix it, but it was all a lot of pressure from the, from the prong collar first, you know, and, um, and we would get it. it; would be no problem. We'd have it on e collar, outing verbally, no problem. And um, but the dog definitely knew that it was me or the handler doing it, and that still created conflict. Right? Mm-hmm. We all know if you're if you're doing bite work, and I say, how many of you, when you walk up to your dog while he's on the bite, does he spin away right. from? Right? And everybody, yeah, yeah. I go, yeah, yeah. That's conflict, right? That is conflict mm-hmm. with you as the handler, and. So I started looking at all kinds of different things that are conflict created by the handlers. And it's what they forget is they have working dogs, but they're dogs, right? Dogs are dogs. They learn the same. They just have maybe some different motivators, but they pet dogs and police dogs are the same as far as being dogs and what can cause them problems. So on the pet side of the business, and I tell this to everybody and Rich, you can talk, you can, I know you can verify this is if you want to be a better working dog trainer, you should train pet dogs. Yes. I, I can get a 12-year-old girl to rock and roll obedience on a dog that's highly motivated for a toy or food. But uh, you get a whatever scared little have an ease or something that won't take food. And you you learn, you learn how pressure works and what works to overcome that stuff. So anyways, on the pet side, I you know when I first took over, when I first started doing pets, I was trying to kind of do the e-collar like I had been doing on the police side. And and I've said this a lot of times on other shows and my show that that my training styles evolved 500 times. Right. Over. So I became a handler in 05, trainer the beginning of 2011, evolved two or three times then, two or three times there. When I went to work, the uh, contract for Cobra Canine on the West Coast, the one guy out there was really good with a knee collar. And so that affected the way I did things. But it was still a lot of using it as a brake pedal more than anything. Uh, they were using it as a brake on a lower stem than the way we were taught, just frying dogs, right? So I started um, just researching better ways to do the e-collar, right? And we've had Larry Crone on the podcast and Larry Crone's manual, his e-collar manual that he put on Amazon for $9 is mm-hmm. 
the easiest thing to follow that, that there is. And when I get new trainers, I buy them a manual. I said, read this. Right. And we're going to modify it, but read this. It gives you a very good basic understanding on how to do an e-collar. And, and I tell owners, we, if we get owners that are really in tune, like really good, I'll give them one of those manuals. And I say, I'm telling you this, I'm not trying to hurt my business, but if you follow this, you could become a board and train trainer on an e-collar with this manual because it's designed really for two weeks. So, so I started learning that and, you know, negative reinforcement being the biggest part of that is starting layering the e-collar over things they know by starting with pressure, pressure mm-hmm. turned off as a reward and as a marker, in my opinion. So we started doing, we're doing, I'm getting great success. We're, we're rocking and rolling, but I had a bad habit of, and this is a police dog thing too. And I see other trainers doing it. You do a combination of the command and the stem at the same time, heal, sit, stem, sit down at the same time. Right. And it's a thing we used to, we used to do it in the police work side, heel pop on the leash or heel and stem at the same time. Cause we were trying to just get it. It was just a trick to get the dog through certification, right? The handler's nervous. So every time we go to turn, you can say heel and he'll, he'll do it. But what I started noticing on that, and I was doing it with pet dogs somewhat is I would walk behind them and I would see, they would say foos or whatever their command is. And the dog would lean away from them as soon as they said it mm. and, and owners heel like that. And then it became, it became a reflexive action. I'm like, yeah, the word is the is the correction there instead of the behavior being the correction, right? The behavior of not healing or not sitting or not downing. It, they're getting corrected for doing what you just told them to do at the exact same time. So it's like, we got to do this without talking so much. So I started working on that. And then when I switched my pet side from Van S canine to Ridge side canine, Aaron Taylor, the known Ridge side, does a a whole thing called tone avoidance. We use tone collar. And I was a little hesitant. And then he came up and did a whole class for me and my staff. And it's, it's insane how well it works. And it's, it's based in science, right? So basically what happens is, so my thing now is we do all of our training. We barely speak to these dogs, right? It's now all of the corrections that the dogs get, it was their fault. I didn't correct them. They corrected themselves or the environment corrected. Right. So, so I'll give you an example. When we started, we do a tone recall now. And I never used to do that because I figured it was a gimmick and it was just a way for the owners to not use stim on their dog. Right. I feel bad. But so they use tone, but tone recall will not get your dog away back when he's running after a rabbit or a deer or whatever. So, but we do it as a nice little base and a nice real long recall on tone. Is a nice little base. And then the next day we do what's called tone avoidance. We send the dog into the room and I just pick a bunch of stuff they're not allowed to touch. Trash cans, couch, my shoes, anything in the room. We do it at my facility. It's like a, looks like a, a wide open family room with a kitchen and we'll put food out and all kinds of things like that. And as they go over to, say they go over to the trash can, we'll hit tone stem and it's a working level stem. So it's not crazy. It's just tone stem, just that fast. Tone stem. They'll go. They'll just turn and walk away, and we don't say nothing. They they go over to the countertop as they walk over there. Tone stem. They turn and walk away. Tone stem. Tone stem. Basically, we put an underground fence around all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, and the reason why Aaron started doing this is he did a poll of 135 owners, and I think it was one percent were walking their dogs. Five percent were actually using place, like we, you know, we always teach place on the place cot, and how important place is. 
But they said, we, we just want a dog that's got good manners in the house and lays at my feet when I'm watching football and gets out, stays out of my shit. So what happens is you're building those manners with the tone stem. And if they go back, we just go, we don't tone again. It's not tone, 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 tone. They go back, we hit stem, maybe at a higher level. If it's food on a countertop and your dog's a counter surfer, we'll make the, the surface of that counter lava. And they'll never go there again. Just like eating poop, digging holes, all that shit. We um, tone stem, tone stem. T- and then what happens is the tone then is the warning. And I, and again, I've never said a word to the dog at this point. No nose, no leave it, no stop, no nothing. Hit tone, they turn and walk away. They'll go over to the next thing, tone, walk away. <laughs> and then eventually they do, every one of them does the same thing. They'll either come and lay down at your feet or they'll stand in the middle of the room. I'm not allowed to do nothing. What, what do you want me to do? And then I tell the trainers and I explain this to the owner. That's when you step in. Come, come on, buddy. Come over here. Place, right? Take away all their decision-making, all their ability to get in trouble without talking to them, right? So the analogy I always use is, so Howard, you're, I, I was coming over to visit you and I hadn't met your wife. And you say, hey, Eric's coming over. She's like, oh, cool. And you introduce me. Hi, this is Eric. And I say, nice to meet you. And I slap her in the face. And she looks at you and you're like, I don't know. He's, he's a weird dude. I don't know what the deal is. So she's like, I'm going to the kitchen. Well, when she gets to the kitchen, I'm already in there. And I smack her in the face. Right. And then I meet her in the bedroom, smack her in the face. She's either going to get violent mm-hmm. or shut down. Right. And mm-hmm. this is the problem with canine handlers because she doesn't know why it's happening. Doesn't know how to shut it off. And this is why a lot of white handlers get bit by their dogs or they ruin them because they just, they, they're not communicating well enough. And then as far as the tone stuff goes, the analogy I use is if your wife, you ask her to make a pizza, she makes you a pizza, puts it in the oven. And then when she, she's not paying attention, the buzzer goes off, she goes over and forgets the hand things and burns her hands on there, right? Her fault. She will not do that again. But the next time she goes to do it, you walk in the kitchen, you think it's funny and you startle her and she burns herself. Now, she's, she'll forgive you at some point, but she will never trust you again when you walk in that kitchen. And it's the same thing when you're bitching and nagging at these dogs with no stem, no stem, leave it stem, no stem, no stem. They know you're doing it. They know mm-hmm. it. you just your words become the correction. We want their behavior or the environment to be the correction. Justin Rigney says all the time, the most powerful correction on a dog is one he thinks he did to himself. Mm -hmm. So, dude, it's changed our business model, changed everything. It's amazing. So what we do on the go-homes is I do all this talking, and then they go get the dogs, and they bring the dog in and let him go in the room. He hasn't seen the owner in two weeks. Freaks out, runs around like crazy, runs over to the owners, and as soon as he goes to jump, we hit tone, and they stop, and they sit. And they're like, holy shit. And I go, now it's time to work. And then we just show them how to do it. I wear the collar. I make them keep me from sitting in a chair and teach them how to go higher, not high, higher. You know, when I try to go back, if it's a high priority item, like peanut butter. Listen, you got to go to a hundred on me to get away from this. (laughs) (laughs) So this is working so well with pets. Like it's killing it with pets. The only issue we've ever seen is if a dog has an underground fence at home, the tone recall freaks them out. It's too much. Yeah. So we, we end up using a little bit of vibrate on that, or we skip it and just use normal stem recall, but it works amazing. So I was like, this has to work for the police dogs. It has to, they're dogs, right? It, it, it has to. And what made me start thinking about this was we did a Corgi 
and this this little dog, I think his name was Cooper. He was a dick, and he he'd bite you. He had, he had a little bit of actual true aggression in him, which is rare. But he had well, they're little, little dogs with big heads <laughs> and giant asses. Yeah. <laughs> so he his thing was he he did good at training. He did really good at training. He he took to the he still bites you every once in a while, but he would uh, he took to the tone recall amazing. His owner's big problem was when he he, he had a pickup truck. He puts him in the back seat of the F one fifty. And they drive around and they drive this one particular road to a park. And on this road, every truck and thing that comes by, he's up arr, 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 going insane and like nipping at the guy's head because he's all just jacked up. Right. And so I said, well, let me mess with this. So I take him and I tell him to down. I even sit down and then stemmed him till he laid down, I drove around. Perfect. Until we got to that road, got to that road. Sure. Shit up going crazy. And I'm, I'm going, I'm like, I'm going to try this. And I'm going down, stem, down, higher stem, higher stem, higher stem. And he's getting worse because he's actually aggressive. I stopped. I hit tone. The dog dropped to his stomach and never got back up. And I'm like, this, this has to work for the police dogs. Because then I figured out, it made sense to me. The tone is actually exactly like the bell yep. with Pav- Pavlov dogs, but as a negative. Mm-hmm. So then I started thinking, you know, when they when they do all those tests on the working dogs, when they do that head snap at odor and they had sensors on them, that head snap when they found odors, when the dopamine dump came. Right. Mm-hmm. And or the marker was the you know dopamine dump. The reward didn't change the dopamine. It didn't get any higher when the ball came in. It was the anticipation, just like the anticipation for the food makes them drool. This is the exact same thing, but on a negative. It's a, I call it a negative marker. But it's just mm-hmm. a warning that your behavior is about to get you corrected, and I have nothing to do with it. It's his fault. And you're, I think you're just paying, playing on their narcissism, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to try this. And I had a dog named uh, Ronnie. who's a shepherd. was a mother effer on outing the toy. Just a pain in the ass, man. And... Every rep, we're trying to teach this dog detection, you know, and ev- we're imprinting with boxes on every rep. It's a, it's a choke out. It's, it's just too much every single time. So I took him into the room downstairs and I taught him a tone recall. And oh, and he would not under any circumstances. Nothing would not work for one single drop of food. Wasn't going to do it. He liked food. Wasn't going to work for it in any capacity which is odd for us, you know, in the police. We don't see that often. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we got the ball on a rope. Well, I taught him the recall. Then I let him loose in my bite shop room with, with bite equipment on the ground and all the shit. And I said, he's not allowed to touch nothing. And I just did tone stem, tone stem, tone stem, tone stem, tone, tone. And it was working. I said, well, let me try this. I put a place cot in the middle of the room. It's a pretty big room, middle of the room, let him run around. And I used tone and funneled him. All the way back, he lay down at my feet. I hit tone, jumped up on the place cot. I was like, dude, I can use this, and I could use this for operational. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I could probably keep him from going in rooms, and, and I'll get into another side effect of it for detection. But this was a dog who would fight me on everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And when it came time to get the – so what would happen is, you know, we as humans, when we're going to have to choke them off the toy, it's the same thing. Maybe we spin their ass, pin their legs, you know, grab their collar – but there's always a precept where I tell Jordan, okay, go ahead and get the ball from him. I'm saying every time, get the ball from him, get the ball from him. I say, get the ball from him. The dog turns 
and starts scratching at him and the fight is on. We've, we've mm-hmm. seen that, you know, they get their feet up and they're fighting and you got to pin them. And so we're just trying to do reps of, of boxes and he's sweating and, you know, and, and he's gagging out balls the whole time. So we took him, we, we taught tone avoidance. And then I said, all right, can't remember if we posted up or back tied, he had a ball on a ball on a rope and we gave the out command tone stem. And this stem was higher than uh, a working level. So it was low tone stem. He spit the ball. I kicked it. He got it back. Low tone stem, low tone. And every time he spits it out, kick the ball, he gets it back. Nine reps, I think. He starts racing the stem and outing on the tone. Low tone. And I'm barely getting the tone on some of them. Low tone, spitting it. Two or three, three or four reps of that. Los, and he's racing the tone and he's spitting it out because he learned his behavior of not outing is getting him corrected. So let me stop you there. Do you think that in order for that to work really well with the out, that that groundwork has to have been laid first where that dog understands that that tone is leading, going to lead to a stem? Correct. You, You wouldn't just jump into an out scenario with the dog teaching him tone stem, he would have to have an understanding of what mm-hmm. there are consequences with other Correct. types of behaviors. Yeah. So we did tone recall and, and I think, yeah, we had him e-collar layered. I had his e-collar layer. Was I, I can't remember, but yeah, the tone avoidance comes before teaching the out. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and sometimes I do it in the same day. Sometimes. So I you're giving it. context to the tone. Oh, yes. And then, so the dog really does understand when he gets to the out situation, because that's right. We know that's going to be difficult. Yeah. And if you think about it, underground fence has been around since like the forties. <laughs> it's the same kind of concept where right. it, goes, it, the underground fence though goes beep, beep, beep. And then a bolt of lightning from heaven comes down. Right. It's some of the worst stem that a dog can get in the underground fence, but the dog learns beep, beep shit. I'm out. I'm yep. this about to do it. Or my behavior of getting too close is getting me corrected. Right. So what, what happened was what happens with the ball is then when, when so about, like I said, eight or nine reps, they start racing the tone or racing the stem and they're outing on the tone. Then they race the tone and they're outing on the verbal, but there are, there is no more turning and fighting me and scratching and having spin around. It's all gone. And what they do is most, they throw the ball out of their mouth. Throw. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if, so sometimes we'll take it on a rope and really get them jacked up. Once they understand it, and you might get to tone again on that, but you get tone and it launches. I used to have a video on my phone, and I'm kind of irritated I deleted it, but I have my phone down and the dog's off camera, and you hear me go los, and you see this rubber ball go bong, 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 bong across the front. Because he he couldn't get rid of it fast enough. And the mm-hmm. very so we do that for that though. So then we went up and ran boxes and ran ran odor and no more fights, piece of cake, no more you know, gagging them off on anything. So then I said, this has to work on a bite work. So the very next day, either on a table or on a back tie, I don't like to do it with the handler posted up because a, they move too much or they walk in a circle and they spin. And if you're spinning the dog, the dog struggles and he doesn't learn it. Um, I actually saw it up in Colorado. I was doing it in front of a class and the dog, I eventually got him to out, but I had to go way higher than I should have. And I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. These guys are doing this dance the whole time. I said, put him up. Let's bring him back in about 15 minutes. And we're going to post him. We're going to tie him back. Take the handler out of it. 
completely. And then it works. So what happens is then we do the outs, we do get them on a bite. Here's the other thing. And this is part of my e-collar without conflict class. One of the biggest mistakes that guys make teaching and training dogs for the out is they don't leave them on the bite long enough for the out. Right. They're just doing 20, 30 seconds. You want to talk about that's where, that's where all them problems come from. The dog swinging away. Like Carlos uh, said on our podcast, it's out a bite work, not out work. Mm-hmm. Give them some time. So we'll tell them, listen, we're going to get them on this bite for about five, six, seven minutes. Let them get a nice, good satisfaction. And then we say we do low tone stem, a little bit higher stem than even the ball. But I'm telling you, because the context and they already know it, three reps, they are outing on. You're, they're even racing the tone right away. Most boop, like out fast. Then we start, and then I start adding in the whole come back to me and all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I, the reason why I brought that up is that I really feel like it's important important to our listeners to understand that that context, that groundwork has to be laid. Because I'm afraid that people will hear, oh, all you got to do is to teach my dog to out yeah. is tone stem. So that's the wrong place to inject all that at one time. You've got a dog that's at a frenzy level, which is why you leave the dog on the bite so long to mm-hmm. kind of get him to reduce or just lower his it's not anxiety but it's just activity level where he's he can actually hear because i think initially some dogs are so so engaged that they they just completely close off anything oh else. yeah oh, that's why you used to always process do. the information that's that's what happens right like we're we're yelling at the dog to out 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 and you're not giving him chance to listen and, and actually hear what you just said because he is gaining all this satisfaction through biting. That's, that's what they want to do. And they're so jacked up for it. Then they don't understand what you just ask them to do because they're not hearing you yet. So let them process the information and then move on. And that's why I'd like to back up just a second, Eric. You, you brought up the working level of, of the e-collar versus, you know, a, a correction level. And I think for context or for folks that don't understand the e-collar, you know, I have found over the years that, the dog feels the stimulation level much lower than when they show stimulation, like looking back at the collar or, you know, if it's on the side of their neck, they might look up if it's, but they feel it much at a, a much lower level than they show it. So if you could kind of explain what you mean by working level, that may help some of the listeners understand that as well. Right. So when we're finding the working level, if you, so you're brand new, brand new with your dog, with this e-collar pet or, or police dog, we are looking for, we just kind of have them chilling out and we're going, starting on one, two, three. So say we're, we're working a collar that goes to a hundred. Um, we're going one number at a time. And I'm just looking for that, close their mouth, turn a little bit. You'll see it. You'll notice that's, that they got their attention. An ear twitch. Right. Something. But to Rich's point, you can get a lot of scaredy ass pet dogs, especially some really, really poor German shepherds. And you'll see that thing moving, contracting that collar, and they're not giving you any indication that they're feeling it. They feel it. They are just blocking it out, right? They're just blocking it out. So, like, I, I'll give an example. I had a German Shepherd that I did, and I'm trying to find his working level, and I'm up, 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 and he's like 67, and then he yelped, which I don't want to yelp dogs. I don't want them to yelp. Mm-hmm. But 66, he did nothing. Like you mother effer, 67, but you know, whatever. I immediately rolled all the way down and we worked on eight after that. Mm. I had to get him his mind barrier, get past this, whatever, the ability for them to to block that off. It's really a, a weird thing. 
you're not going to get that so much on police dogs. But if you're trying to go up and find the working level and that thing is moving, they feel it. You mm-hmm. have to know that they, they feel it. And so when that's the working level that I'm using on teaching obedience. Um, and when I'm layering that over them, we'll go back real quick on part of the non-conflict part and why we're not just using is it a break. The first thing I do with them on the e-collar is I teach, I use it for recall, mm-hmm. right? They've already, I've already taught them recall with a leash and collar. I'm a prong collar guy. He's prong collars. I've already taught them how to turn that pressure off by turning and coming back to me and mark it. I pay it. And then I just get into a rhythm of throwing food against the wall. They go get it pressure turn, whatever. And then when we start over with the e-collar, it's the same. I throw it out there. They get the food stem comes on. They've never felt it before. Stem comes on as they're turning, maybe a little guidance with the leash stem goes off and you get them coming faster and faster. And then I later on that day or the next day, I use the stem to get them to go away to a dog bed. Right. And I kind of mix it back and forth. That's what we talk about. Not just using it as a break, using it as a gas pedal to go do things or come to me faster. Cause most I'm telling you, I still say 95% of dog trainers and dog handlers don't really know how to use knee collar. They really don't. They think they do, but they don't. And that's why I've, some businesses and some handlers, you go around, all you hear is their dog yelping all the time. And they're just trying to get the dog to sit. I mean, come on. So with the tone thing, the nice thing about the tone avoidance is you teach them tone avoidance. You can teach it before they've ever had a collar layered on them. They don't need to know what that is. They just right. need to know that the garbage can just did that or the act of sticking my nose in the garbage can got me corrected. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with Ronnie, I built, I built that ball out and it changed everything and it changed our relationship and it changed his relationship with Jordan because Jordan would kind of, you know, he's got him on the leash. He's got that toy. And then reflexively they grab and tighten up on that leash and pull him towards them. Cause they're going to have to grab them and all this, all that went away. No more scratching, no more grabbing, none of that crap. And then the out dude, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And that took me two days. And so now I have done that with every dog that's come through here and I've gone back and fixed dogs that I previously trained without it and cleaned all that up for them. I have yet to have a dog that it didn't work on. I'm not saying that there won't be, I'm sure there will, you know, there will be. So my class is giving guys a new thing to try when it doesn't work, but I did, I've done it in front of a class, like right then in front of them, which is nerve wracking with a brand new dog who won't out. And we got an out in one session of each. And then, so now I told like Todd Mona, you know, Todd, um, yes. I taught Todd this, but what Todd did was he did it a little bit differently. He did. And, and I don't know if it's for me, it's different than the way I would do it, but he does tone the out command, then stem tone, low stem tone, low stem. And then, Tone becomes an out, but you're singular there. There's only really one thing you can use it for, in my opinion. It's just the out. So then I'm working with it, and I start to notice, you know, the way I do the e-collar, the way I do the tone, there's no more, when I say heel, there's no more moving away from me. The dog's not nervous when I come into the room or when I'm in there working. He doesn't have to worry that this dude who bitches at me nonstop and and constantly corrects me is in there because we've seen that with dogs some dogs can they just they get they know they can't do anything right right but when you put all the onus on the dog and their behavior gets them corrected this their environment got them corrected not me it keeps my relationship healthier the spinning at the decoy stuff stops you know you're talking about the listening part 
we all used to do, and, and some people still do, I quit doing it, is the suspect stop fighting my dog, mm-hmm. dog name out. And the reason why I would do suspect stop fighting my dog was just a preparatory command to uncross their eyes and open their ears up. But when you're trying to work that for certification, you're going suspect stop fighting my dog, Rex out, and then bam, I have mm-hmm. correction. So then what happens is suspect stops fighting my dog becomes the out command. Well, it does become the outcome, man. But after a while, if you if if there's so much conflict, they bite harder. Right. As soon as you say, "Go ahead," and they pick up on me, go ahead and out your dog. But out your dog. Go ahead and out. Your... So I come. I get to it now with dogs when we're doing out work and, and bite work and stuff. I'll just I nod. I don't let the dog see me because if he saw me nod, and then he gets outed. He's going to start fig- picking up on my nod. So I'll just go ahead and give him a, a, a head, and then they'll do it because and. Somebody told me, and I have to find it, but somebody told me there's a court that ruled that suspect stop fighting my dog is an escalation of force mm. because the dog bites harder when you say that because of conflict with the handler. So I, I took that out. I just, we just say, we do the thing. We say dog, you know, his name, Los, and if he doesn't, Tone. And if for whatever reason that time he didn't, we, we correct him. But that's you. We put him back on, and usually the very next rep, he's back out on the out. You yeah. know, we, we definitely we're dealing with masters of association. Mm-hmm. I think of situation situations where you've got a decoy and you've got the handler with the dog, and the the handler looks at the decoy and says, "Are you ready?" Yeah, we, and the, the dog that's the, the dog's ready. He's ready to go now because now we've just made that part of the the scenario, and uh, we just we have an understanding when we're working is. The decoy's there, and he's got a bite suit on. He's ready. Right. We don't right. have so to ask. We we tell our pet clients all the time, stop talking to your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Can't help it. We front load words so many times, and it, it, make, it becomes a meaning to the dog, like a detection scenario. The dog's working. You see the dog's in odor, and the handler has to say, show me. <laughs> <laughs> Just, so show me becomes, oh, I, that's that's it. And then they start indicating on just the handler saying, show me. So stop front loading words. So that's a great message for anybody in dog training, you know, civilian police, be quiet, let the dog work and stop yeah. front loading those words. And you're exactly right. So then the, what we found is the tone pet or police becomes basically no. And without us saying no, and I still teach no and a correction mm-hmm. because we probably, as humans, say no more than any other word in the English language besides I. And so no has to have meaning, right? Mm-hmm. And so the owners reflexively will say no. And so I do put a little bit of emphasis on that. And only that's only really hopefully that no has meaning when you don't have the collar on or you don't have the remote in your hand. I tell the owners and I tell the handlers, we're going to go for a walk here. We're going to say heel or whatever it is when we step off and you are not to talk to that dog again. This entire walk, all corrections will be at least pop, tap on the collar or both or just the whatever. And we're going to have a conversation. You are not going to interrupt this conversation. Right. And dude, they're so much happier with it. But what happens is when the dog really understands no a tone, the tone is so you're walking on a heel on your left and they start to drift out. I'll hit tone. They come right back. They don't think I had anything to do with that. Their actions were getting them corrected. And they, the behavior of getting out of the pocket. So initially, are you are you managing the, the remote? Yeah, I've already taught them this at this point. And then I have to go go for it because I want them to just get used to it. And you got to watch. The owners will tone 
and then tone again instead of stimming again. You got to go over that mm-hmm. with them. Um, I do a lot of role playing where we I wear the collar on my arm and make them do it. And you, you got to watch because if you go back to the food a second or third time, they might roll up like significantly, (laughs) you know, and and so a lot of them, I'll tell them, I go, so here is where you would go even higher. We're not going to do that today, but this, just think this is where you would do it. And the way Aaron does it, he'll do it in a group setting of trainers. He will get a, he'll tell a human being, they're not allowed to sit in this chair. So they go sit in the chair and he does tone stem and they get back up. Right. And he goes tone stem, tone stem. And they has them walk around. And then at some point decide when you want to go back and he goes back, they go back. And he stems them a higher stem and come out of that chair, right? And everybody laughs or whatever. And he talks. He goes, okay, keep the collar. Go have a seat. We'll do some more stuff in a minute. And they go to sit back down and he hits tone. And that person will launch. Out <laughs> and they didn't even know they were going to do that. You know what I mean? It, it, it yeah. was just a conditioned response to the tone. Right. And But it took, it takes all the conflict out. All, all of it. And then I was like. I wonder if I could use this operationally to keep them from going into rooms they've already checked, different things like that. Because what I do on the pet dogs, like in my house, I'll be in the family room and there's a door into laundry room, a door into a bathroom and steps to go upstairs. And I don't want them to go in any of those rooms. I just sit there and they go to go in the the bathroom. I hit tone. They come back out. They go into the laundry room, hit tone, because as you know, one of the biggest complaints on pet owners is their dog eating socks and chewing up their laundry and eating their underwear and all that other stuff. And the other reason why I show this all to police dog handlers, I say you live with your dog more than you work your dog, right? So they got to be well-mannered at your house. They're dogs. So I was like, this has to work. So I, I started with building searches and send the dog, you know, if... If you haven't done things perfectly all the time, the dog runs to the end of the hall. They'll just take off towards that last room. And so at my facility, what I'll do is I'll let them go and I'll have a couple open rooms and some closed rooms. They'll go to the end room and they'll go in and check it and come back out and run around, not really sniffing all that well. They'll go back to that room, back to that room. And so what I do is I give them once, maybe even twice after that, as they go, I hit tone. And I don't have to talk. They just turn and come. And then I found I can tone off of that room, tone, tone into the room that I need them to without saying anything to them. And I'm like, okay. So one of my other things that irritates me is detection dogs who know things, certain things are, are, have, have gotten them success. Dressers, desks, filing cabinets, depending on where you're training, you know? So we go into a large room. I put the hide way over in the corner. And the dog goes immediately to a filing cabinet, for example, because he's had a lot of success with filing cabinets because we hide shit where we can in our training environment. And he goes in there and then there's nothing there. And he walks away and he doesn't go deep enough in the room. But what he does is he comes back to the filing cabinet and he goes back around and he comes back to the filing cabinet and about three or four times. He'll just right. I see it all the time. And I'll tell handlers, why did you let him go back four times? You know where the height is and you still let him search that one desk four times. So what I found is uh, the second or third time as they're coming over to it, I just hit tone and they turn and walk away. And it doesn't make him afraid of it. They just, in that instant, will not go back to that filing cabinet. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you get a more, you know, 
start searching other productive areas. But you can kind of manipulate them around the room just by beep, 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 and not one word out of your mouth. So it takes the handlers out of the behavior corrections. It takes them out of guiding them and stuff like that and keeps everything everything good and you just don't have to talk. Now, then people ask me, well, I have a dog truck. Dog truck doesn't have tone on most of their collars. We, I use the vibrate on the dog truck for the same kind of thing. Vibrate stem, vibrate stem, vibrate stem. And I have found it works amazing on teaching it out with a dog. Mm-hmm. Once they know that vibrate is a, is a warning, clear warning that, that their behavior, which is not letting go, is about to get them corrected. Right. Yeah, it works amazing. Now, if I came to you and you're, you, you're a tactical guy and you're using your vibrate as a, as a down, maybe like a silent down, eh, we'll, we'll probably have to go back to the old way. But I still, would, I still would do more teaching your dog how to out without you complaining. There would be stem without a lot of verbiage from you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. But it's, it's just when I do it, people are like, this sounds stupid. And then they're like, yeah, I'm not doing it any other way after this. It was so, it's so, I've, I've trained police dog wise, 12, 10 or 12 dogs out this way. It's so nice and easy. And again, all the corrections and all the problems are their fault. And it takes that, that preemptive strike on the handler when he knows you're about to be the corrective force. They turn and bite them. It, it's it's gotten rid of that. It's gotten rid of all that problems. Now you still have a occasionally a jerk off dog who's just going to bite the thing that's next to him. But but that that part where he knows you're going to do it because one of the you know like we talked earlier on the bite stuff on the outing, these guys will let these dogs on for ten seconds, fifteen seconds, and then they grab like hard corrections to get them off, and then give them a rebite, hard correction to get them off, hard hard, and then it just now you have a nervy shitty dog who's might come off on that third time and bite you come back up that leash because he knows you're doing that to him right mm-hmm. he wants to stay on there his behavior is not not what's getting him corrected your voice and your arms and everything is getting him corrected so that's the basis of it a little nerdy there but i remember telling this story at a conference and i was telling about that corgi and I said, the thread of the stem had more value than the stem itself. And I said, and I don't know why that's like that. It just is. And then I, like five seconds later, I go, yeah, I, I feel pretty freaking stupid. I know why. It's just shit we learned in seventh grade that was boring and we fell asleep, you know, listening about Pavlov's dogs. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. So the, the classes that you're offering, are they, are they open to just law enforcement or to pet owners as well? So the the class I advertised the other day was e collar without conflict for working dogs. Okay, that that's probably going to be mostly le. And I leave that up to the sponsoring agency too. It doesn't that doesn't matter to me. But mm-hmm. that's a three day class. I'm doing a two day class for pet trainers, mm-hmm. and I should have probably clarified that with people. But people called me and I said, "Yeah, I'll come down." And it's two days, and I don't know what do you have four or five dogs? Well. We'll work them and maybe we'll talk some business and I'll talk about what's successful with me and I'll probably tell them about day training and if they're not doing it and things like that, but teaching them, making sure they're doing the e-collar the right way. You know, I just don't like, I just, I hate yelping dogs. Right. You know, I I don't mind a dog yelping when he's trying to climb on top of the table Mm -hmm. or, or he's running away or, or something like that, but yelping, yelping him because he got off place or wasn't going to place fast enough. I, I just, 
I think it's just a problem. And and then the police dog side ends up being the same thing, you know. So yeah, we are offering it for pets. It's that's a two day deal, and um, we'll see. I'm doing one of those uh, Monday Tuesday in Mansfield or not Mansfield, uh, Marietta, Ohio. And really, done, Marietta. Yeah, I've done it for two other pet dog companies and it worked out pretty well. <laughs> you know, I can when I talk to them the philosophy, especially about the pizza analogy mm-hmm. of of you no longer being a trustworthy person when you're in the room. It's the same way with dogs and owners really glom onto that. You know, they want their dog to trust them and that Mm -hmm. that type of thing. I know my wife really would really appreciate the fact that you used her in that analogy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Because well, she I've known you for 15 years. <laughs> she thinks a lot of you too. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And again, when you say e-collar and out and all that stuff, guys are at least willing to listen to what you have to say, you know, yeah. but we're going to do it. We're going to do it in the classes in front of them. They're going to, the, I, I, my PowerPoint is, I don't know, maybe two hours. Mm. It sucks. My PowerPoint's terrible. It's just bullet. <laughs> it's really just bullet points for me. But well, I get what it, it, honestly, that's what a PowerPoint should be. Right? Yeah, and I just get sidetracked a little bit. But um, we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to do. We're going to teach a tone recall. We're going to teach tone avoidance on those working dogs. We're going to do tone out on the ball and tone out on the bite. And um, but it's not just that. We we'll talk about the philosophy of of the dog getting corrected by himself. And and how to relayer the e collar properly on a dog, actually using stem, not just the warning of stem. Do you think that's the, one of the biggest shortcuts that most people that use an e collar or most trainers that do this, they do not properly teach the dog the behavior first? They go to the collar too soon, and the dog doesn't understand what it is. Yeah, that's the same thing I talk about slapping slapping your wife and making her confused is because she doesn't what is happening and she doesn't know how to stop it. So. The fr- if your first day of training of obedience is straight to the e-collar, you, you can have problems. Mm-hmm. So we, we the way our system works for the dogs that are in our building. Now, our board and train outside the building guys have a little bit of leeway. Actually, a lot of leeway. But in the building, the day training. So, so we'll say a day training dog comes in on Monday. The first day is all it's come, sit, down, place, heel, billion reps of that. Over and over and over. We I call it, we call it five by five. So it's five things. You get them out of the crate. You do each five things five times. No wasted leash time. You walk them to the door. You're starting to teach that heel walking to the, go to the bathroom, sitting at the door. Sit the door when you come back in. There's two of your sits already, right? Mm-hmm. And then five, 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 five. Put them up. The next trainer when he gets there, I don't care if the dog's only been in there eight minutes in the crate. Get him back out. Bam, bam, bam. Hundreds and hundreds of reps, and tone recall so we've teach them everything the afternoon we'll start tone recall this is all with a leash and a prong collar or slip lead or something day two all of the same thing rep we're, we're really trying to download these commands into this dog's dna and then we teach tone avoidance on top of everything on day two. First time they felt stem day two tone avoidance day three then starts we start the very first set of day three a reminder of what day two was and then day three is e-collar layering, starting with pressure first all day long on all the commands, plus tone recall, plus tone avoidance. And it's just piles of reps. It's, it literally is a an assembly line or, or whatever of, of reps. Boom, boom, boom. 
But the dog has already learned how to turn pressure off of a collar by coming, sit down, whatever it is. And it makes it so much easier to do, you know. And then Thursday is com- is the e-collar stim after the command. And then by then, on Friday, we can even start doing some off-leash stuff in the building, dragging a leash at least, because we, we have the ability to start pressure or pressure after the command. And it, it works out really, really, really well. Sounds like a good system. Well, how but I, Real we- quick, I do the same thing on working dogs. If I can get four dogs in from Europe, and Jordan and I start them on a Monday. What we'll do is I'll sit down in the ca- one of the couches and Jordan will go dog. He'll do all four dogs. Bang, 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 bang. I then, as soon as he's done, I grab dog number one and then I do all four. And he does all four. And by the afternoon, we've done 250, 300 reps of all those commands. And I, st- I teach a place command with police dogs because I found it is a really good foundation to start the down at a distance. Right. And then by Friday or Saturday of the first week, I have complete off-leash recall on these dogs. Fun. They like it. We're not ripping heads off. We're not tying dogs to trees. You know, none of that shit. We taught them how to turn pressure off, come back to me. So anyways. Very good. Well, if someone's, especially, you know, Howard and I, over the last year or so, I know I've been contacted a lot by, you know, civilians. And if, if someone's looking to, to, to host this for you how do they how do they find you and reach out and ask you if you can do this for them so if they go to instagram they can message me on van sk9 v-a-n-e-s-s the letter k number nine or eric at van sk9.com is is my email they can call and, and set it up i'm trying to do basically one a month that's about it but well, one a month you know and um i could probably i probably could have done seven or eight from here till the end of the year, I don't want I don't want to travel that much, you know, because I still have business to run. I still have a kennel and things like that. But yeah, it's an easy way to, to reach I'd out. I'd love to get you here. Yeah. I'd come down for sure. You would love it. A lot of people tell me when I talk to them about it, they're like, yeah, I got to have you show me. I got to have you come down here and show me. Mm-hmm. That's the way they want to learn. I'm like, yeah, perfect. No problem. Yep. Yep. Maybe that can be a, uh, one of the pro series. Yes. Yes. Me and Howard, since we're old, we uh, always talk about the pro series. These young guys are out there training and, and we, we always want to do a pro series. So Yeah. Yeah. We're we're the we're the epitome of that uh old bull and young cow. <laughs> bull. <laughs> like, why don't we walk down there, boys? Yes. I used that uh story the other day and it fell on deaf ears. Oh, come on, man. You gotta go have them watch colors and <laughs> exactly that's where that's where it came from. Yeah. That's right. Before we leave, I'll tell you an interesting story. So back when I was a handler, my um, and this is unrelated to what we were talking about, but back when I was a handler, my second dog was this dog named Willie, and he was a um, as I what I call an apex predator, like a real street machine. I had I had three years on him. He did seventy seven bites on my three years. Fifty were the first three years of his career with another handler, and we had this building downtown. And it's a huge old warehouse factory type thing. It's huge. And it, I think it was vacant my entire career. But I get a call there one day, right at shift change of a break-in. People in there stealing stuff, you know, like everywhere, every city, copper, theft, is <laughs> right? So we go there and open the door. And it's broken into open door. And I hear these guys running upstairs on the second floor. <laughs> give the warning and send them. I I have no idea what the hell's going on. I haven't been in there. I don't know. There could be massive holes in the floor. I have no idea. But we're biting somebody. So I give the warning, send him. He goes up. I hear all this scurrying. 
And then I hear screaming and I go run upstairs and Willie's got the guy is hanging out the second story window. He's trying to escape. And Willie's holding him is biting him in the arm, pulling on the window frame. And the guy's trying to get away screaming, get him off of me. I recalled Willie the first time. And the only time I ever did a verbal out recall on that dog. And the entire time I had him, well, he was holding the guy up. So he, <laughs> He, and it's also the only time he verbally outed ever. <laughs> Willie outed, boom, guy drops two floors. There's a backup guy out there. Whap, this body just flops right next to him, busts his legs all up. That that building yesterday burnt to the ground. Oh. Big, huge, massive. Dude, we probably bit six, seven people in there over the years. Not just me, all the other guys. It was like a monthly thing. That thing's burnt to the old brick building. Old building, the early 1800s, probably burnt to the ground yesterday. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you, God bless, and God bless America.